Hello and welcome to another edition, a playoff edition of the Casual and the Diehards, a basketball podcast on the End Zone Podcast Network. Oh, what a great time of year this is. So many great sports on all the time. NHL playoffs start tomorrow. The world is just in a really good place right now as far as, far as sports go. I'm, I'm just excited for, for this uh, really four or five week stretch to get underway i'm excited to not get much sleep i i am very excited so ladies and gentlemen welcome thank you guys and gals thank you for joining me here on the panel audrey per usual ethan per usual and new friend uh brian priest very nice of you to join us today brian how are you all doing i'll start with you audrey how how things going Things are great. It's uh, still nice and rainy here in Seattle. My son's just freshly lost game one of their series, and I am not in a great mood. It's great to be here. <laughs> Ethan, obviously, you know, things did not go well for your team. It's, you know, just game one, man. It's, it's going to be a long series. Buckle up. Uh, I I can't decide to be whether to be encouraged or disappointed by the way they lost that game. We'll get to it, but uh, just trying to suffer my way through finals in my last couple of weeks of being a college student. So that's where I'm at right now. Wonderful, Brian. You've been doing baseball all weekend. <clears throat> it must be nice to get out of the sun. Uh you know I got to tell you, I've spent about. 18 hours uh, since Friday in the press box at, at Smith's ballpark. And it, you look behind me with all my baseball stuff. I got my baseball hat on. I'd rather be at Wrigley. But tonight, uh, I'm looking forward to moonlighting as a basketball fan and talking some NBA playoffs with you guys. Uh, absolutely. All right. Before we started, I just, you know, this is the casual and the diehard. So I just have to be a casual really quickly. And like my number one takeaway from this weekend is like, oh, my God, LMAO, like the NBA regular season is such dog shit. Like, what did I just do for the last 10 months of my life? Why did I watch any of it? This is just a completely different sport. Does that ever like I know you guys are are much more invested and have much more basketball watching experience than I do, but like. This was my first year in a few years really watching, like, I would say a majority of the NBA regular season. And oh, my God, what a terrible product it is. Like, I I, I honestly, after this year, will probably, until they fix it, will never watch the NBA regular season again just because it's almost entirely pointless because it's just like, I don't know. Is it crazy to say it's almost a different sport at this point? Like, it's it's just completely different now. And it, it's crazy to me how bad the regular season product is. I think it is crazy to call it a different sport. And I think you're being so dramatic. The NBA regular season has <laughs> absolutely has a ton of great points, fantastic games, and meaningful moments. Uh, it also has a lot of uh, filler episodes, you could say. And uh, I, I think you're right to some degree that the regular season does seem to be lacking some sort of compelling element, but I don't think it's a different sport and I don't think it's meaningless personally. It's I don't know, man. I mean, there definitely is a big shift when you get to the playoffs. Like I, I kind of meet in the middle of you guys. Like I'm not total doom or gloom, but I, there is like a big difference. And 
I just think that, you know, there's too many games. That's just the bottom line. It's such just such a long season. Players rest too often. Um, the league is well aware of that. They're making some changes to try to change it, and we'll see that come into effect next year, and maybe it'll have some effect. But, you know, it, it's definitely a different thing, and, and that just means that the playoffs are, are just a wild time, man. Uh, a wise coach once told me that there's three seasons in the NBA. There's the regular season, there's the first two rounds, and then it's the final four. Um, things are different from the first couple of rounds of the playoffs to the conference finals um, as, as compared to the regular season. So it's just, it's just very different. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I agree that it's, it's absolutely a different type of basketball. The intensity without a doubt is, is ratcheted up, but you know, between resting and tanking, Ethan, you you talked about just the the simple length of the regular season, eighty two games, and there's there's so much of the regular season that it feels like you're just trying to get through the slog. And so, like for me as a jazz fan, eighty two nights a year, I I make time in my schedule to make sure as much as humanly possible. I'm going to be home or I'm going to be available to follow that jazz game and, and know what's going on and be aware of it. But I don't watch the rest of the league. I don't, you know, when there's that marquee matchup Memphis, you know, say, say Memphis against the Lakers. I I'm not carving out a Thursday night to watch that game in January because I don't care, but you, you come to, you know, Eric, you and I were talking, but before we got on the, the show today, you get to this first weekend of NBA playoff basketball, Saturday, Sunday, four games each day. And, and it's a, it's a whole other ball game. And it, I am completely engaged and plugged in. Are you, you're throwing those season two long stones from the glass house of being a baseball analyst. I don't know about season <laughs> two long. No, I, I totally agree with you on, on that point. I just think it's a, it's a funny place to be from considering the, how many games are there in the MLB regular season now? It's a, a double, it's double, double the game. Whatever. 162. And you know, oh. but you're outdoors and True. a lot of beer. You can even play the sport while drinking. Is that not a benefit? Uh, what an incredible sport. America's past truly is America's game. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Get drunk and eat some of the worst food you can possibly put into your body. God, I love this. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. 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 When we're talking about the uh, inherent health factor. Yeah. Of course. Of course. No one's doubting the quality of a half gallon of soft serve ice cream inside of a baseball helmet that <laughs> that can't not taste good. It does uh, taste it good every time. <laughs> I I could I could tell you a five minute story about the first time I took my wife to Wrigley Field and we housed a helmet full of nachos and it earned her a free beer in the bleachers, which she subsequently chugged. Great day. Great day. Incredible. Can't, can't beat that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get into some of these series. I think there's only really one place to start, and that is the Western Conference. You know, I I I think as it's known to everyone on this uh, panel, I'm a pretty diehard hockey fan. Uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup playoffs start tomorrow. Nothing in sports, you know, unless it's football, like I'm pretty much like ranking Stanley Cup playoffs too as far as what I like watching in sports. 
So there's going to be a lot of hockey watching over the week, and I'm 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 not going to be as plugged in with some of these series. But the one thing I will commit to right now is basically every single series in the Western Conference, I'm going to do my best to watch at least a quarter of each of these games over the weeknights, and especially like the third and fourth quarters when we get into crunch time, because it seems like literally every series in the West is just absolutely incredible and has the potential to go uh, six to seven games. Even this Nuggets-T-Wolves game that's going on right now is very competitive, very close heading into the eight-minute mark uh, in the second quarter. But I wanted to start with the Grizzlies and the Lakers. And uh, I I just want to start with, you know, welcome to being, like, one of the most popular sports memes on Twitter for, like, the next probably year and a half. Austin Reeves, like, getting caught on hot mics screaming, I'm him in just the corniest, whitest way he could as he's ran as he runs down the court and almost trips after his own guy shoves him. Uh what what a game that was. What a performance by Austin Reeves. What a performance by Rui Hachimura. One of one of like my day one guys. I loved Rui at Gonzaga and like he, he's always been kind of a, a favorite basketball name of mine to keep track of. What a performance by the Lakers in general. That that game, I think there was just a lot of debate, Audrey, going into that series. Like, what are the Lakers going to look like? Are they going to look like the team that we saw for a majority of the regular season where they struggled to put full games together? And, I mean, credit them. They, they survived three, by my count, three Memphis Grizzlies comebacks and still ended up winning the game. I, I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance by the Lakers. And you're right. They just look night and day different. It's it's crazy to see. Um, I, I think the game plan against the Lakers, just like any other team with that kind of top-heavy star power, is stop LeBron and AD at all costs. And by all costs, you have to mean the sacrifice of keeping you know good perimeter defense or closing out on some of those other guys who, for even the back half of the regular season, weren't doing that well. Rui Hachimura has had some moments, but hasn't really been you know, reaching his potential since he he was traded over from the Wizards at the trade deadline. And I think if those guys can keep doing that, they they have as good of a shot as anybody because um, then it frees up LeBron and AD to be so much more versatile. I mean, you have, what do you have? Jared Vanderbilt locking down John Morant. You have great switching and active defense from the Lakers. Like, it's just, it, it's crazy to see. It does not feel like the Lakers I've gotten to know all season. And if they keep this up, I'm going to be terrified of them come the second and maybe even, who knows, third round. Yeah, Ethan, you, your kind of thoughts on what what you saw from the Lakers. I know we were going back and forth on, on this series a little bit, and we've gone back and forth a little bit on the Grizzlies all, all season. This was just I, – I can't honestly get a read on the Grizzlies because I'll be honest with you, for about like the first three quarters and first six minutes of this fourth quarter – I thought the Grizzlies played some of their best basketball. Like they, they played really coherently. They survived a bunch of Lakers runs as well. You know, Jaron Jackson was incredibly impressive and then jaw kind of gets hurt and everything sort of devolves. Like what, what were your kind of main takeaways from, from this first game? 
Yeah, I mean, it was just, I think, an overall weird game from Memphis. You had, like, a big Jaron Jackson Jr. game. He was awesome pretty much the whole night. Uh, you mentioned it, jaw going out, kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But just where I'm at on the Grizzlies as a whole, like, it just seems to me like they don't know how to win these big games. It, it, you know, it's a young team, but they have playoff experience now. You know, last year they had a run to the second round. The year before that, they met the Jazz in the first round. Like they've been in the playoffs before. These guys have been here. And it just seems like they wilt down the stretch of these big games. You know, obviously the Lakers are the more veteran team. They have LeBron James, and that's a big advantage just with his experience alone. But I just felt like Memphis, like, you know, I tweeted this to you today, Eric, but they have Stephen Adams is like pretty much the only vet on the roster and he's injured. And you had Kyle Anderson last year, who's a guy that you want in the locker room and on your team. And he left in free agency. And so you're sitting there with all these guys who are still on their rookie contracts and John Morant, who has his name in headlines for all the wrong reasons. And they continue to throw shade at the opposition post game. You know, they, they talk like they've won something before when they, they haven't made it out of the second round. Like, I just don't like the way that this team moves at all. And, and I don't think that they're going to be able to go anywhere in the postseason if they don't change their whole ethos and culture as a franchise. That's just where I'm at. And, you know, it shines through, especially like I'm watching the ESPN broadcast today and it's like, what, which Van Gundy brother was on that one? It wasn't Stan. It was the other one. Yeah, Jeff. JVG. Uh, you know, Jeff Van Gundy's saying like, Dylan Brooks is out in the press talking about how he's going to shut down LeBron this series and how like basically had some kind of quote basically being like, I am not afraid of LeBron. And like, I've just never like, you don't think LeBron hears that? You don't think one of the most competitive athletes on the planet hears that and thinks, oh, okay, dude, like at some point in this series, when they start having to guard Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, like, there's going to be some point in the series where LeBron James is Dylan Brooks is asked to guard LeBron James and LeBron James is just going to score 40 points. And like, that's just going to happen because he's set himself up for <laughs> failure with like this. I, I don't know. It, it's just part of the Dylan Brooks experience. And it like, it just like the fact he, he's, he's still saying that at this point in his career, like, what are you doing, bro? Like, this happens every year. He says something inflammatory every single year and every single year he gets burned and found out as a not good NBA defender. It's like crazy. It's it, it's not even just Brooks, man. It's the whole roster. Like Desmond Bain after the game throwing shade at Rui Hachimura. Like they continue to give bulletin board material for other teams. And Memphis hasn't made it out of the second round with this core. And they just continue to talk shit. Like they've been to the NBA finals. It It's, it's not going to get them anywhere in my book brian any any thoughts on uh on on this game uh i don't you know not much specifically about this game but i look at this series uh, as more of a whole and you know it's obviously it's a two seven matchup but when i stack the two teams up next to each other this this is not your typical two seven matchup in any way because Memphis, for a, as good as they are, as much as I respect John ja Morant as a basketball player, Desmond Bain and what he's able to do, I, I I felt like there for a minute, Eric, you were setting me up to have to try and defend Dylan Brooks, and that is not a position that I wanted to be in in any capacity because he's just kind of a jackass. But 
you know, with, with Memphis, for as good as they have been this year, one of the ways that has led them to led to a lot of their success is the way that they've been able to attack the offensive class. And they've suffered two major injuries over the last six weeks of, of the season that have had a huge impact on everything that they're able to do on both ends of the floor. You know, Brandon Clark, obviously, with that Achilles, but um, Stephen Adams, the importance of Stephen Adams with that Memphis team and the way that he is able to pound the glass on the offensive end of the floor. Memphis is, for, for all of their ability to score, they're not a good shooting team. The reason why they're able to put points on the board is because they attack the offensive class. They get second chance points. And so they're not a typical two seed going into this. And then you look at the Lakers. This is a Lakers team that is playing some of their best basketball of the season. There's a ton of question marks about the Lakers. When you look at the long term, do I think that they can win four playoff series in a row and win a title with this team? Yeah. When I look at the names, possibly, do I think that they could stay healthy for four rounds in a row? No, but for one round against the Grizzlies, and with the Grizzlies' lack of size, you know, Jaron Jackson has been great defensively this year, but there's always a question of his ability to stay on the floor because of foul trouble. And so I just think the Lakers present a really bad matchup for Memphis in this series and not surprised to see the Lakers pull out the win in game one and wouldn't be surprised to see the Lakers win this in five or six games. Audrey, I wanted to uh, approach because uh, we we do have a fun segment on this on the show that I think has uh, obviously emerged called uh, the Eric Jensen try not to overreact challenge to one game. Uh, often the, the level of challenge is impossible. Uh, I tweeted earlier today, like as a LeBron hater, which I am and which I freely admit to being. I am scared absolutely shitless that this Lakers team is has what it takes to go to the finals. And you, you seem to, I don't know if you necessarily scoffed at it, but it seemed like you kind of scoffed at it. I digitally let, scoffed. Let, 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 let me just put, 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 put this out there. If AD stays healthy, if LeBron stays healthy, if basically everyone on their team stays healthy, if Austin Reeves can contribute between... 15 to 20 points a game, which I don't think is unrealistic to say. If Rui Hachimura can provide between 12 and 17 points a game, don't think that's unrealistic to say. What What is the hesitancy there that they are not the type of caliber team that could go on an absolutely deep NBA playoff run? Well, I don't know. How big is your garage? Uh, pretty big. Because those are some fucking huge ifs that you've attached to that. And you're going to need somewhere to put those. Because that is a lot of ifs. LeBron and AD staying healthy. Role players who have not been super consistent. That the, Austin that the Grizzlies did not have been incredible for a month and a half at this point. Well, we'll put it this way. The Grizzlies were game planning on the Lakers reserves not being as good as they are. With that game plan changing... With that strategy coming through, with Taylor Jenkins coaching and the brain power behind that staff, with now knowing what you've got in the cards with Jaw clearly not being at the at 100% and playing through injury, how does their game plan shift? How does their defense react? How do they change? I think they are going to come back and be more well-adjusted in the second game, especially still being home in Memphis. 
I could be wrong, but I think I think it's a textbook overreaction to think that uh that the Lakers are gonna are gonna are guaranteed to get through this series, let alone go to the finals, in my opinion. Brian. Eric, if I remember correctly, about 15 minutes ago, you started this whole thing off with if I'm correct, let me let me uh, quote on this. OMG L M A O O O O O the NBA regular season is such dog shit. What did I watch for the last 10 months? And then your argument for Austin Reeves was he has been incredible for the last six weeks. <laughs> I guess uh, the course sonographer, can we confirm that? Was that exactly what he said? Is that right? Okay, yes. The course sonographer confirmed that is exactly what happened. You're right. Caught in 4K, Eric Oh, Jensen. my God. Caught on a hot mic. You are not him. Do not let him cook. <laughs> I'm never going to get invited back, am I? Nope. <laughs> this is probably your last appearance. <laughs> back to um, the bees for you, buddy. Yeah. Um all right, let's let's move on to the next series, but I do Oh, wanna... let's move on now. Let's move on now. Okay, okay, what, okay. What what, do, what, <laughs> what more do you want to talk about here? <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay. I, I do want to give us all a chance, though, because you know, I think it's you know, we have we have a sample size now of all these games. Like we we kind of have more of a vibe. I want us to pick these series as we as we go along uh with a one game sample size so obviously we're cheating a little bit i'll start with you ethan how, how do you see the rest of this playing out um yeah <laughs> this series i mean i think a lot of it is going to depend on john morant's injury and if it's actually going to force him to miss some time maybe the rest of the series maybe one or two games or, or maybe he's going to play through it i don't know um regardless of that the lakers looked really good today um i don't know that we'll see Rui hachimura and austin reeves replicate this level of production perhaps um anthony davis you know was banged up already today he was able to return to the game but you know not assuming for any more injuries i think i'll still go with the lakers in probably six games at this point i think for me I was not sold on the Lakers going into the day. Then they showed up, and the argument from a lot of analysts a lot smarter than me is if they do show up in the playoffs, look out, like anything can happen. I do feel like this thing probably goes seven games. I think Jaw's going to get healthy at some point during this series, and that'll force this into a seven-game scenario. So I'll, I'll take the Lakers in seven. Brian? Uh, I simply put, I think we're looking at a six game series until, and if we get word that Jaw is going to miss two or three games, in which case, I, I think you got to go Lakers in five at this point. Mm. Audrey. Uh, I am standing by what I predicted even without uh, assuming Jaw comes back at some point, Grizzlies in seven. Uh, if, if it comes out, you know, an hour after we get done recording this podcast that Ja actually has broken his hand and he's out for the rest of the series. Uh, Lakers in six. Okay. On to another just insanely fun series. Kings Warriors. I'll just read my notes here. And, and I, I know Ethan disagrees because I don't think he can take the heartache. But just like seven of these, please. Seven of these that play out almost exactly like the first game with various different results as far as who wins. 
that first game to me that was the best game of the weekend was, agreed was inject that. that shit into my veins that was awesome that was so yeah, much fun and those was... kings fans were alive that was incredible to watch yeah what what what's what made that such a good game audrey it well i'll say what made it a good game to watch is the excitement of the kings fans getting their first playoff win in, in what 17 was it 16 or 17 years uh, a very very long time this reminds me as somebody who lived in arizona uh, from 2017 to 2020 and watching the Suns go from the awful miserable that they had been since, you know, 2007 or whatever until actually becoming a real team again and finally not sucking. I went to some Suns games for $9, $5, you name it. it so as a fan base to watch your team get, get better, especially after sucking so bad for so long in such a way that the Kings did, it's awesome to watch that stadium come to life. As far as basketball is concerned, I think they they understood their assignment, and I think for all the advantage that the Warriors have in experience, uh, the Kings have in amount of tape that they get to watch on the Warriors and how they like to play in the playoffs, and I think the one advantage that the Kings have with their inexperience is that nobody knows what a Kings playoff team looks like, and I think they they use that to their advantage. Ethan, if you if you had to scout for the Warriors, if you're on that coaching staff, what would you define the Kings' playoff style as looking like? I mean, it, it's funny because you can kind of look at the Spider-Man pointing meme of the Kings and the Warriors just looking at each other, and and it's it's a lot of you know motion heavy, read and react offense. They like to run these high post actions where you like for the Warriors, it's Draymond Green, the Kings, it's Sabonis, where they get the ball kind of at the elbow near the top of the key, and you run a bunch of cuts and a bunch of screens to try to get somebody open. It's a lot of hyper fast offense and, and movement, and, you know, shooters flying everywhere. Um, it makes sense. You know, Mike Brown, Warriors coach for six, seven seasons, won a couple titles with them. Now coach of the Sacramento Kings, coach of the year. Um, so, you know, it makes sense. These two teams, you know, they play at a super fast pace. That's why we saw last night's game was, you know, just a high scoring affair, ton of high quality shot making. Um, so, it, you know, it was just a super fun basketball game and everybody wants to see a long series. I don't, I would like it to be over in five, but uh, you know, if, if we're going to see some good basketball, then, by all means. I, I have a question for either one of you, Ethan or Audrey. I'll be the first to admit. The Kings were just one of those teams that even though they were good this year, obviously they were a big story. They just they slipped under my radar. I just did not watch a lot of Sacramento Kings basketball in the regular season. Is Malik Monk really this good? And can they count on Malik Monk to contribute as much as he did in game one? Because I think that is going to be a real key for them to remain competitive. Because we all know De'Aaron Fox is good. It's just who is that third tertiary scorer going to be besides him and Sabonis? And if Malik Monk is really going to come out and give you like 25 points a game, then this can be a really competitive series. Uh, I think, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go, okay, Um, Monk, like, I, I don't think we can count on him for 30 points a night, but if he can probably get to 20. Uh, last night, he did shoot 14 free throws. A lot of those came down the stretch on what I thought, in my completely unbiased opinion, were, were pretty ticky-tack calls. Um, He just got a lot of free throws down the stretch of the game, 14, made all 14, so, you know, that's almost half of his points. Um, But, you know, he's a guy 
has had kind of a weird career so far. A really good season last year with the Lakers. He's been good for the Kings all season, but 32, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think because I did watch a lot of Kings games this season, I, I actually finally uh, pulled the trigger and just got league pass this season, and it was the best decision I ever made. I have watched a ton of basketball, especially small market basketball that never makes it onto cable. Um, and, and you know, and also being on the West Coast, you know, I, I watched a lot of Kings basketball. And I think I think Ethan's right. I, I don't think he can he, he's going to necessarily put up those kind of numbers. But I think that's the best thing about the Kings is that they are used to relying on scoring by committee and they have just a ton of guys that can give you, you know, not maybe not 25, 30 a night, but could give you 10, 15. And that's all across the field. And you saw it even, you know, even last night as well. Uh, Harrison Barnes with 13, the bonus with 12 and 16 boards, uh, Trey Lyles with 16. So they can really spread it out and dominate. And I think that is what helps them be immune to some of the, the cold street games that some of the other more top heavy teams, like a team like the Lakers can have is that they really just have a lot of guys that can put up those numbers. And in, instead of having one or two standalone stars and then a couple of shaky backup guys, I think they really have a team. I really love this, this Knicks team or the, excuse me, this Kings team. I do love the Knicks team too, but for different reasons. But I, I think the uh, I think the Kings are 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 just strong because they got a lot of guys that can just do everything. Ethan, I I know we kind of disagreed on this via text last night. Clay, Steph, especially in that fourth quarter, are are pretty unconscious. That final play gets kind of drawn up where Wiggins is the guy in the corner taking the three. Obviously, it's unlucky. It's not a bad shot. He had a good look. He took a good shot, just didn't go in. Why don't you – would you rather have had Clay there? Like, I, I, I just – I kind of didn't – like, I understand that Andrew Wiggins is a good player, but with the game on the line and needing a three-point shot, there's just – and if you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on your team, I want one of those two guys taking the shot. That's just me. Well, in an ideal world, yes, we have Clay Thompson with his feet set wide open in the corner with like three seconds to wind it up and knock it down. Um, but that's not what happened. And Wiggins had, you know, like I said, feet set wide open. That's a shot that you take 10 times out of 10. And I know Wiggins, you know, coming off like a couple of months of layoff, right? He hasn't played since February. He shot like one for eight from three last night. So clearly his legs weren't there. I thought he played a great game. His jump shot wasn't there, and hopefully that'll come back over the course of the series. But in that situation, like, would I have liked them to attack the basket and get an easy two? Sure, but they the Kings had guys there, you know? And, like, would I have preferred Clay or Steph be the guy in the corner with, with that much space to shoot? Yes, but the shot that they got, you got to live with the result, and, and I have confidence that Wiggins will be able to knock that down as we get deeper into the playoffs when he gets his legs back. And that's the thing, too, because that's the Kings game planning. Like, they they were preventing Steph or Clay from being open for that shot. And you as a Warriors fan, I would assume, would be more frustrated forcing Steph or Clay into a bad shot over having Wiggins take that last shot. So I agree. You take that shot 10 times out of 10. You, you can't pass that up. And it's just unlucky. You just hindsight's 20-20. GG, go again. You know? Jordan Poole's been up and down this year. Who, who do you think sees more minutes in those clutch moments down the stretch here, Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole? Wiggins for sure. Um, you need his defense pool. I love him, but he's kind of a poor decision maker in clutch moments. He can hit some big shots, but often closing quarters and closing games, he is not the best with the ball in 
his hand, so I'd rather see Wiggins play. Brian, uh, some of your thoughts on this series. You know, as I was listening to each of you talk and sharing your thoughts on it, I was I was struck by what I I expected from this series going in, some of the unknowns that we were looking at. And I thought just that that final sequence really presented so much of exactly what I was expecting from this series and what I would what I was wondering, you know, when you're looking at Andrew Wiggins after such a long layoff. What were his legs going to be like? I think Ethan mentioned he, he was one for eight from three in that game. And he he ends up getting that that last shot. And no matter how you paint it, it's a great shot. It, it is in an ideal world. You'd, you'd love to have Clay or Steph taking that same look. But that's exactly why you don't call a timeout in that situation, because you want to get that open shot. Uh, then when it comes to the Kings, this is a team who – they just get up and down the floor so fast. Their their transition game is so much a part of what they do. And it was such a frenetic final sequence in those last two or three possessions. And, you know, they, the Kings, because of the way that they attack in the transition game and the way that the playoffs typically slow down, it, it makes me wonder their, about their viability long-term. But I also love the storyline in Sacramento where, you know, you, you knock off Golden State, that big brother kind of down down the road, and then you, you go and exercise the demons of your last playoff appearance against the Lakers. And, oh, my God, Sacramento's in the Western Conference Finals. That's an awesome storyline. I just don't know how plausible it is. You look at Golden State, and my questions there were Andrew Wiggins, so much time off. But he, he looked pretty good when you take all everything into consideration there. And then Gary Payton, the second coming back and his addition into the lineup and, and being able to play big minutes, Golden State is no longer the defensive sieve that they were for the last two months. And so I, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of this series. I would love to see it go seven. Ethan, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Ethan, another Warriors question for you. What kind of needs to change? Does anything need to change? How, how does this series play out for Draymond? Because that's that's one thing I did notice in this game is the Kings game, like the Kings game plan, did a really good job of neutralizing Draymond Green as a defensive threat, which is what we all know he's best at. What is the solution for that? Do you think he gets kind of more comfortable as the series goes on? But it, it just feels like they really have to change their Siri Siri activates as don't want it to. Um, they really have to change like their defensive game plan, I think, because and and stop the Kings from playing the way they did in game one. Because if the series keeps playing out this way and the Kings play that way every game, Draymond cannot defend in that style of game. That's just not his game. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think it's interesting that you single out Draymond here um, because from what, like, my takeaway from the game last night is that they put Sabonis on Alcatraz, locked him up, and threw away the key. Like, Looney and Draymond did a hell of a job defending DeMontis Sabonis, limiting him to what you said, 12 points, I think. Um, so, you know, Sometimes that I even was... sat on him to prevent him from scoring. That was incredible. It, exactly, yeah, late in the game and no whistle. Either way, I was... Ridiculous. Uh, I, weird. 
Um, but but regardless, I think the guy that they really need to worry about slowing down is De'Aaron Fox. And I think Wiggins, like it, it should be Wiggins or GP2 on him for 48 minutes. There, there should be no like, okay, we're going to put Clay on him. Oh, we're going to stick, you know, Draymond on him on a switch, whatever. Like it should be Wiggins and GP2 trying to, to slow down De'Aaron Fox as much as possible. And, you know, Wiggins coming off the long layoff, get his legs under him. Hopefully he can kind of, he looks a little bit gassed down the stretch of that game. Maybe, you know, it just comes with the conditioning. So hopefully he can kind of get back in there. But I think defensively, like the Kings are a tough team to guard. So are the Warriors. We're going to see a lot of high scoring affairs the rest of this series. That's just going to be how it is. Um, And, and, you know, I think that we have to find a way to kind of, make De'Aaron Fox work a little bit harder for his buckets and, and also defend without fouling. That's, that's been the Warriors forever. Um, they sometimes have tro- problems with the fouls and and sometimes those whistles kind of tighten up a little bit in play in the playoffs more so in the regular season. Um, and we kind of saw that for like 44 minutes last night until the final four minutes of the game when the whistles just kind of came off the, off the hook a little bit. So I don't know. We'll kind of have to see how it plays out. I'm excited to see them make some adjustments for game two because the Warriors have historically been very good at adjusting as the series has gone on. Um, Steve Kerr is as a master at that. I think Steph Curry as the leader of the team is really good at making adjustments and so is Draymond Green. So uh, I I think we'll see a, a different kind of look and maybe changing up the rotations a little bit in the second game. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I think I'm excited to see game two as well. Uh, honestly, if if I had to break it down, this is just the series I'm most excited to watch from the first round. Like, it's, it's just, I think it's going to be fun every single game. I like both these teams a lot. And, I mean, it some, it's just different, man. Something about Steph Curry, when this time of year comes around, like that shot he hits from the corner, like, it's yeah. just like nothing almost, like it. Like so good. Yeah, like it's almost impossible to like stop him. And like <laughs> like yeah, I just think it's it's absolutely awesome to watch him. And that's gonna be one that I try to watch basically every game. So that but that, that is a series I, I'm very I just gotta say, man, to I, I tell people this all the time, but as good as you think Steph Curry is, he's better than that. I, I've never seen a basketball player like him. It, it's it's fantastic. All right, let's go around and uh, and and repick this a little bit. I'm just gonna pick what I like here, what I want. Seven games, but ultimately, I do think experience matters in the playoffs. And I think the Warriors have the experience, and I think the regular season can be instructive, even though it's dog shit, uh, because the Warriors were an absolutely awful defensive team on the road, and they were an absolutely awful defensive game team on the road in game one and that might change in game two but it might not too because that might just be who the warriors are and i i think that seven games is probably where this goes i'll, I'll take the warriors though audrey uh yeah i think i don't know on one hand i'm like to get experience you have to win series so it's like experience can only matter up to a point but it's it's the Warriors, and if I've learned anything over the past however long now of watching the Warriors just beat the shit out of everybody, I I gotta say I think Warriors in in seven though I think it goes the distance. Brian, in the Dante Divincenzo versus Kevin Harder, that can be only one bowl. I gotta go Warriors <laughs> in seven in this one. And uh, Ethan. 
Yeah, uh, before the series started, I said Warriors in six, and I think I will stick with that. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to be optimistic about my team, but I really do think they can make some adjustments. The team was upbeat after last night's loss. I think that they know what they need to correct, and we've seen them do it a million times before. So uh, if I had to pick how I think this series is going to go, I think the Warriors will win the next three. They'll lose game five in Sacramento, win game six at home. Warriors in six. History says that you're right. <laughs> All right, finally in the West, Clippers, Suns. I'm learning uh, as I do these podcasts with you guys and as I watch more NBA, I'm, I'm starting to kind of learn what kind of basketball I like watching and what kind of basketball I don't like watching. And and my main takeaway is this, Clippers, Suns. I hate iso ball. Like, I just hate iso ball so much. I, I disagree with it as a principle. I think you should pass the ball. I think you should move defenses from side to side. And I think you should kick out to corners and look for open shots. But I guess if I have to watch iso ball, this is pretty damn good. So I'll just throw it to you here, Audrey. Obviously, you have the most invested in this series. Is that an accurate description? Because this does, does just feel like eventually it's just going to be like every single game. It's like Devin Booker and ISO against whoever KD and ISO against whoever Kawhi and ISO against whoever, and like just whoever has the best night's going to win the game. Yeah. I think it's largely accurate. Um, I mean, just like any Eric, you know, claim or take there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a bit of exaggeration there, but I, I think overall, yes, the Suns play a lot of isolation basketball. Yes, they can win doing that, but do I think they can go to the finals and win a championship doing that? No, and I'm very concerned. I think you're right. There was a lot of isolation basketball, and I was kind of hoping to not see that the first game of this. I, I've been the type of Suns fan who's been screaming from the rooftops for years, or I guess about two years now, that we need to utilize DeAndre Ayton more. Uh, people give him a lot of shit. And I think he, uh, he looks like a whole different player night to night sometimes. Uh, but I think he is woefully under-involved in the sun's offense uh, to a level that really frustrates me. And while the suns have so many individual stars that can score by themselves, as we know with even like the showing from the Lakers today, the stars can be so much more effective and it can take so much pressure off the stars to involve everybody else. And I don't think the suns are doing a good enough job of that right now. And I'm worried about their ability to, to go the distance, especially considering that they, I mean, Kawhi had a fantastic night, but to lose and not even look very convincing against a Paul George-less Clippers was really concerning to me. Ethan. Yeah, uh, this series, it, I mean, I tweeted this out today, but we we only had a couple, you know, we're through the first round of games, not the first round, but the first game of every series. And everything's upside down. I, I just did not expect the Clippers to go into Phoenix and win today. Um, I think not having Paul George is a big deal. And and maybe that's honestly a factor in them, like having the surprise factor here, right? You don't necessarily where, know where Georgia's shots are going to go to, how they're going to spread out their offense and stuff like that. And, you know, the Clippers just had a big game from a couple of their veterans today. Eric Gordon played well. Uh, Russell Westbrook with the, the play to win the game. He shot terribly, but he made that game-saving block at the end. And, Kawhi Leonard dropped 38. So 
Um, that's, you know, that's how this series is going to go. It's going to come down to individual performances. Um, you know, KD didn't shoot it too well tonight. Booker, a pretty average game for him. Um, and they play their stars a lot of minutes. So we're just going to have to see where this one goes from here. I still do feel relatively comfortable about the Suns taking this series overall, but um, we're going to have to see some adjustments on both sides. Absolutely. I think the Suns have a lot of work to do uh, behind the scenes to game plan better to the Clippers because I don't think they showed up well personally. Or at least not as well as they could. I have high expectations for this team because we gave up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to get Kevin Durant midseason. And I really just want this to pay off. And I think right now, you know, it's it's obviously too early to make any declarative statements. But right now, it definitely isn't as good as it could be. I think that's that's a pretty plain fact. And I just really need them to start getting better so my heart rate can go down a little bit. Uh, that would be nice. There's just something about Kawhi Leonard, man. I, I, I don't know what it is. I have a no. weird relationship with him. Yeah, I, I liked him on the Spurs. I, Me too. I, I hated him when he went to the Raptors. I thought he quit on the Spurs. I called him quick quit for a while. He did. He did uh, quit on the Spurs. He, you know, he, I, I was kind of against Kawhi when he ended up winning that title against the Warriors. Like, I, I wanted the Warriors to win that series, but man something about Kawhi in the playoffs he's just so much fun to watch like the, the NBA like the NBA has transitioned away from the style of basketball Kawhi Leonard plays and yet Kawhi Leonard is still one of the best basketball players in the world he is the best mid-range shooter in the world he is incredible on defense and it just seems like he shows up when the biggest moments happen, I don't really have a point to saying all of this. I just know I really love Kawhi Leonard. And if the Clippers do have a chance, he's going to need to play his best basketball because it is really just Kawhi Leonard every night and hope you get some freeze from Eric Gordon because Russell Westbrook sure isn't getting them, which is also just a hilarious thing that Russell Westbrook even in the playoffs, just continues to like shoot three-point shots when they just don't go down. And it's like, what are you doing, dude? Like every time he, which is honestly ridiculous because I, I've been Russ's biggest critic this year. I think both of you would agree. I have not said very nice things about him, but I think when he does not shoot, he is an incredible basketball player. As a distributor tonight, he was really good. He was just a really solid point guard who got the ball where it needed to be when it needed to be there. But yet, he's still, I, I still think I'm confident in the Suns because I do think Russell Westbrook iso ball without Paul George is going to show up enough that it's going to leave these like five to three to five minute stretches where the Suns can go on runs and stay in games. Like it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just the way I feel about the Clippers right now. Yep. They, uh, they're up and down, but some of the Suns and I don't know. I just, I, I have trauma from last year's Suns playoff run. I just don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And I hate it. Can we just talk about, uh, Devin Booker's defensive performance. Oh my God. Wow. That, that was absolutely nuts. And something I would never have expected in my entire life. 
he can do it when he wants to. He can do it sometimes, but he uh it's not consistent. But man, oh man, does it really help when he when he can turn it up defensively. It was really that was one really encouraging takeaway from tonight is I think he did really well. Oh, at least God. on the defensive end. And and KD had a bad scoring game, and I don't think he's gonna have, you know, too many of those in a row. So I'm I'm feeling all right about the Suns overall. To if we're going to to picking the series, I, I still think the Suns come out on top, but I think they I think it takes them six or seven to do it, unfortunately. I feel like we have less to say about this series because I don't mean this is an insult, but I just feel like it's less like there's less nuance to it. Like this does really feel like one of the series where it's just like, okay, who's better, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker or Kawhi Leonard? Like, who who are the be- like who are the better players here? I don't know. Is Yet that- the series will live and die by its role players, though. I mean, like it's it, the Clippers will rely on their role players to step up, and as we saw today, the Suns need to rely on the entire team and the distribution of the ball throughout that entire team to win. Like you say that, and, and that's true on paper, but it, the reality is, I think the. The, the needle only moves when the bench uh, puts up or shuts up. Yeah. Eric, I go back to the beginning of the conversation and you, you talked about the styles of basketball that you enjoy watching and how just isolation basketball just is not as much fun. It's, it's not as aesthetically pleasing, but I think that's what a lot of playoff basketball ends up devolving to, you know, when you, get down to games four, five, six, seven in a series because you have the best coaches in the world watching all of the film, deconstructing everything a, a team has done all season long, you know, every tendency and giving that information to the best players in the world and asking them to execute it. And Audrey, I thought you made a really good point that, you know, what what the playoffs come down to is it's you put the ball in the best players' hands, and not only do you ask them to create for themselves, but they need to be the ones who create for those role players because defenses are too good in the playoffs. They know their opponents too well for the most part that when you get down to the last four, five, six minutes of a close game, you are no longer running your offense. You're going, going down, you're giving the ball to KD, and you're giving the ball to Kawhi, and you're saying create and run this offense and let's get it done. And it's not as aesthetic as I'm having a hell of a time saying aesthetically pleasing, but I'll be damned if I don't have a great time watching Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard and Devin Booker trade punches. Goodness had a better myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me get into one more thing on the Suns here. I just looking at their minutes totals is very interesting to me. They only had six guys play over 10 minutes tonight. Kevin Durant, 45, Booker, 43, Chris Paul, 39. Um, is that sustainable? I don't think so. I, I was shocked to see Josh Okogi get only seven minutes tonight. He was really good this season. I thought he should have played more. Uh, Damian Lee has had a good season. I know he's not the best on defense, but he can shoot it. Um, I thought he probably should have played. And I just, I, I question playing Durant 35 minutes because you look at his peers. Um, Curry only played 38 the other night. LeBron James played 34 today for the Lakers. Durant's 35. He's had a major injury history. I I, I question giving him that many minutes in, in a game one of the first round. Just I, throwing yeah, that out there. I, listen, I, I know that you both say that, but like this, this was the argument against that trade from analysts this year was that, okay, okay, let's say they take your argument and they play Kevin Durant list. Who, who are they going to play? 
I just they, Josh Okogie and Damian Lee and and I'd like to Ishmael Wainwright. I'd like to see him play a little bit more. I guess, but are those guys that can compete against Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs? I mean, they don't always have to. It's the six minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like I think it's 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 about more spreading it out. We're not talking about the last like five minutes of the game. You should have Josh Okogie and Damian Lee taking the ball up the court. But throughout the game, I I agree that KD was overplayed today. I think the point just stands that that this is what the Suns bargained for. Like they went all in on their starting five. They are not a deep team. Like they they are not the Bucks. They are not the Celtics. Like they they are they are a team. They're they're not even the Warriors. Like they are a team with five elite starting players and then a a a bunch of really rotational guys. I I can't remember who it was early in the conversation. Either Ethan or Audrey. You made the point that you want to see the Suns lean more on DeAndre Ayton. And I think that's really one of the keys uh, for Phoenix. If you want to lessen the burden on a guy like Kevin Durant is you need to be able to know that you can throw the ball into DeAndre Ayton and get 20 points a night and he can go and get you a tough bucket. Because when you look at the Clippers, there's nobody on that roster that should be able to stop DeAndre Ayton with his back to the basket within three feet of the rim. Yep. I mean, Zubats arguably, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that, this is the matchup for him to be able to shine and game one, they did not do it. All right. Some picks here, Audrey, I'll let you go first. Uh, Suns and six. Ethan. I'll go Suns and seven. Brian. Suns and six. I, I, I have a really hard time picking this one. This is the one where I, I just don't really have a read. The Clippers, just for one thing about the Clippers, and I just know this too well as a Jazz fan, they just play really good good when it comes to the playoffs. Like, they're, they're a playoff team. Like, Terrence Mann, in the big moments, like, you know, takes over and plays big minutes yeah so i i i i i i'm not gonna pick against kevin durant but i, I do think it goes seven all right it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a close series that's for sure all right the east we'll go through this pretty quickly there's only one series i really want to talk about uh the sixers and the celtics i feel like we can combine these two uh and, and this is just a way i, I kind of feel uh, the Sixers and the Celtics are two teams full of adults. Say whatever you want about James Harden in the past. You can tell over the past year and a half, his attitude has changed. He wants to be in Philadelphia. He wants to win a championship. Is he the same guy that he was four years ago who's putting up insane offensive numbers at a clip we have literally never seen in the NBA era? Absolutely not. But it like... Can he give you 27 points in the playoffs? Yes. And 10 assists? Yes. Like, and can the Boston Celtics take care of Trey Young and whatever the, the Atlanta Hawks put out on the table? Yes. I mean, the Boston Celtics have been here before. You know, they have absolutely, you know, taken care of business. It's it's just the way I feel. Like we're we're heading towards Bucks Celtics. I mean, Mikhail Bridges had a really nice game. Audrey can be happy 
you know, she can she can get her her smiles off and say, "Oh, that's a great game by Mikael Bridges." But that man's going to be a first team All NBA in the next three years. Mark my words. The, these these games these series are not going more than five games. Like no. it, it's just not not going to happen. The Sixers and Celtics are two teams full of adults who have been here before, who have played in the playoffs. Everyone makes a big deal about Doc Rivers and and the Sixers not having playoff experience. Well, they they've been here. Like Joel Embiid has been here enough now. Like they they know what to expect, and really this all just boils down to Sixers Celtics, which will be the most exciting series to watch uh, next series. A- any thoughts on uh, the Sixers or Celtics? There's only really one uh, series in the East that I feel like we want to go in depth on, so I-, I wanted to keep this kind of brief. I mean, yeah, no, go ahead, Artie. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll be quick on this one. I, I think you're I think you're overall right, Eric. I think the Nets have a lot of fun pieces, but they're not ready to be at the level they're at right now. I think this will be a great experience for the guys on the on the squad, and, and hopefully they can keep most of these pieces because I really do like everybody on the Nets now, which is a total one eighty on how I felt about them during the uh, the last year and a half of uh, debacle. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This next next round, Sixers Celtics, is going to be so 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 sweet. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about these series. I think Philly might end up sweeping. Maybe the Nets can get one game. Um, the Hawks, I mean, they almost made like a fake comeback at the end, but they were down by 30 at one point to Boston. So I think both of these should be over relatively quickly. The Celtics, you know, they're a serious team. You mentioned it. They're full of adults. Philly, I still don't trust them, but they got probably the easiest first-round playoff opponent in the conference. So um, I think that that should set up the second round pretty nicely. Uh, hey, I had I had kind of a strong reaction to Eric's giving James Harden his flowers there. I, I think with the 76ers, yeah, they should win this series. I do think it goes a little bit longer than any of you are predicting. I, I think this one could go six. I just don't trust uh, Joel Embiid to – he is not always in great shape. He's not always looking like he's ready to play 48 minutes. And if James Harden is your second best player, your ceiling is always going to be limited in my eyes, especially once it comes to playoff time. As far as the Celtics go, at worst, that's a gentleman's sweep. I think that the Hawks are a dumpster fire and Quinn Snyder is just waiting to clean house. Generational slander on James Harden. He's statistically still putting up absolutely incredible numbers, I think. I think he can't sleep on James. I agree with Eric's, men, uh, Eric's comment too that he's locked in and he looks like he's he's uh, hit that next level and is ready to win a title. I, I'm I'm very high on James Harden. I think. I just feel like we've seen that a lot from him, and it, it, he's come up flat enough in the playoffs that I need to I need to see something different happen on the court before I'm I'm going to give him that credit. But I hear where you're coming from. Bucks heat, big question. Obviously, Giannis, is he okay? That did feel like more of an injury, though, that was like, we know that we're a title contender and we don't want to risk our star's health in game one against the heat. Uh, any thoughts on the Giannis stuff? And, and I, I do have one take here. I do think it's a little bit concerning that the heat basically dominated them for most of this game. Like we we have talked up the Bucks as being one of the deepest and best rosters in the NBA all year. And even though Chris Middleton put up over 30 points, like you're telling me you couldn't beat the Heat in game one at home. Like I, I don't know. In are they gonna lose in round one? 
No, but does that give me some long-term pause? I, I would say yes, a little bit. Like, their, their role players didn't really step up the way they did in the regular season today. And I thought Drew Holiday played a really bad game as well. I, yeah, I, think... I, have, I have two... Oh, go ahead. You're good, sorry, you're good. Audrey. Go ahead. No, go I, no, I just had two really quick thoughts on this one. The Bucks. I mean, how many times did they lose the first game of the playoffs to Orlando for two, three, four seasons in a row? This is just what the Bucks do. They lose game one, and then they, they – didn't they lose game one to Chicago two years ago? And then we win the rest of the games by 20 points or more. And the Heat, as a seven seed, they have so much playoff experience. They're – they – don't really resemble most seven seeds in playoff history. And so I, I think this is easily a game one where the, the Heat get the win, but you we look back four games from now and we throw these results out because the Bucks have a 5-1 win or a four games to one win. Yep, I, I agree. I think, yeah, the Bucks tend to come off the starting block a little bit uh, slow. And also, yeah, to your point, the the Heat have the highest dog in them per thirty six of any of any NBA team. They they're just they hustle. They do not stop. They uh, I mean, you can't count Jimmy Bucket at, Jimmy buckets out as far as effort is concerned. But you're right. We're we're looking back next week and saying, yeah, this is the series almost over or this is over. Like, yeah, it's not happening. The Bucks adjust. Hopefully, Giannis comes back. But even if he doesn't, I think they I think they're able to get through it without any. Uh, Without, without too much pain. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. The Heat, I, I said this about play-in play teams. I think I said this last week, but play-in teams inherently are inconsistent. They're around 500, maybe a little bit above, but this is just what the Heat are. And most of the other teams that are in the play-in that are the seven and eight seeds right now, they can win on a good night and they can get, you know, look terrible and get blown out on a bad night. If the Heat played like this in that first game against the Hawks, they'd be the seven seed. They would have played the Celtics today. Like, that's just inherently the nature of this team. They can look awesome for 48 minutes and the next game they might score 84 points and lose by 50. Like that's just how, who the heat are. And I think we're going to see them be hot and cold for, for the entirety of this series. Okay. Let's get to, to Nick's Cavs. I know Audrey, you got to go. So I'll, I'll give you a chance to give some, some first thoughts on this and hop out if you want. Cause I did want to spend if, even if you have like maybe a, 10 or 15 more minutes a, a good chunk of time on this series because i do think it's the most interesting one in in the east but your your thoughts on game one at least uh yeah and and apologies for having to to head out early on this because i do think that is a really interesting matchup i mean i don't know i i think we definitely did not see the best that the Cavs had to offer last night um i think it's I definitely have predicted the Cavs to win this series, although I know it's going to be a close one. But also, I am a I'm absolutely guilty of underrating the Knicks a lot this season. I I tend to kind of forget about them. Um, as far as contenders go, you know, I, I hesitate to even call them a contender. But I think they they've got a lot going on this this playoffs, and I, I I'd be I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't extremely impressed by them coming into Cleveland, looking pretty controlling. And taking a pretty convincing game one. And I think Cleveland's got their work cut out for them. And I don't think it's a guarantee, at least in my mind anymore, that they that they make it through the series. And I think the I think the Knicks might just wear them out. The, the, they're known for just playing so hard and never giving up. That that very Tom Thibodeau style of of basketball. And I think the Josh Hart trade is the best thing that ever happened to them. Uh it's very rare that you see a team make 
a trade for who is, you know, comfortably a role player, uh, you know, a guy who's going to be putting in a lot of work with your second string and definitely not being your first option for offense. But it's very rare that you make that kind of trade and it just completely fixes the team. I think you can't say enough good stuff about this guy. Absolute glue guy Josh Hart is. And I, I don't know. I, I think the Knicks might have a shot to come out of this series in a way that I totally did not think they would going in. I have a lot of faith in Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs as much as it hasn't translated to real success. I think now that you put that onto a roster that is much more well-rounded than any of his Utah teams ever were uh, under, you know, I, I would say, I'd say pretty good coaching. I wouldn't say better coaching than what they have with Quinn Snyder. Personally, I'm, I, I have a lot of respect for Quinn. I don't think he was very much the problem, or at least all the problem on those Utah teams, which is, I know is a loaded statement in this group, but uh, I don't know. I think the, I think the Knicks can pull it off. All right. Well, Audrey, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much, uh, Brian. It was nice to have you on. Come back anytime. Appreciate you. Thanks, Eric, as always. Ethan, see you later. Bye, y'all. All right. That was a nice synopsis to get us into this. Uh, I'll just start with what stood out to me. Uh, Jalen Brunson is just a dude. Like, I, I think I didn't really have any doubts, but I think there were people in the NBA Cognoscenti who didn't really view him as like a number one guy that could be a franchise star. But this is two years in a row now that in the playoffs, he comes and he plays his best basketball. And I think if he continues to play his best basketball in the playoffs, which I think he will, and Julius Randle is healthy, which is huge. There was so much speculation before this game. People forget that he might not even play in this series. The fact that he was ready to go game one and was a massive contributor during it. Like, I, I, I look at the Knicks as a weird kind of X factor in the Eastern Conference that if I'm the Bucks next series, like, I'd... I don't really want to see the Knicks and you probably don't want to see the Cavs either, but like they've just got dudes like Emmanuel quickly was a really good basketball player all year long and continued to play well in the playoffs. I I thought that, you know, this, this was a, a statement by New York. And then to think of, and I, you guys might think this is overrated, but, I, I don't. To think that they're going to go to the Garden with a game in hand is kind of scary because there is a chance that they go back to New York and the Knicks are tied 1-1 and competitive in basketball for the first time in the past five to six years. And that place is absolutely jam-packed and rocking and the best atmosphere on the planet. And if that happens, like, look out if you're the Cavs, because anything can happen at the Garden. I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's the best home field advantage when it's rocking in basketball. I think there's statistics to prove that. And I, I just, I would not want to be the Cavs right now. I think they did a really, I think they did themselves a huge disservice by dropping game one. Yeah, I mean, and I think especially in a situation like that, like that's where Cleveland's relative inexperience can shine through. You know, this is their first time back in the playoffs since LeBron James was there. Um, and and their core is a bunch of young stars. I know Donovan Mitchell has been there before, but Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, like this is the, all of their first taste of playoff action. I mean, maybe Allen had a moment with the Nets. I don't remember, but 
regardless, it's a young roster and, and, you know, that is a tough place to play. Eric, you're right. So we'll have to see how they look uh, when game three rolls around. Yeah, no, Ethan, I feel like you were reading from my notes and talking about the Cavs just inexperience. I was looking through their roster and yeah, so many guys, so many key players, not just role players, but guys who they're asking to play 30, 40 minutes in a game that this is their first taste of playoff experience. So the fact that they lose to New York, not that like the Knicks have a ton of playoff experience themselves, but Julius Randle's played played a lot of big games. Uh, Jalen Brunson, obviously, has had a Western Conference Finals playoff run, has played some big games with the Mavericks. So that's a team that had has some playoff experience that I don't think Cleveland came into this series with. And so the question really is, is Cleveland going to be able to absorb this this punch and are, can they throw back or are, are the Knicks just too much and, and do they overwhelm this young Cleveland team? I, I look at Cleveland and they remind me a lot of you know, like the uh, super young Thunder team when the, the Thunder entered the playoffs as an eight seed and lost to the Lakers in, God, when was that, 2002? nine ten something like that and you could just see the building blocks and you're like this team has so many pieces and they're going to be great in two years i just don't think the Cavs are a team that that's built to make noise in the playoffs because of their inexperience and that's really what's going to hold them back this season could they beat the knicks in a, a six or a seven game series absolutely are they going to beat any of the other top three teams in the eastern conference no we are three guys that have very intimate experience with Donovan Mitchell as a player, especially during the playoffs. I thought that it was basically what you expected from Donovan Mitchell. He plays his best games in the playoffs. I did think I will give him credit. I did think he was more engaged defensively. I just, I, I, I thought that like, that was the best defensive game I think I've ever seen Donovan Mitchell play, which is saying a lot because it wasn't like a spectacular defensive game. He had a few plays where he kind of took off. But I I think the one thing that still does hurt him, and I know this was a big thing on Jazz Twitter, and like you could see it kind of down. I do think he struggles in the clutch a little bit. Like with that last shot that he has coming down the baseline on Saturday – that that just kind of rims out on him. I, I I really, I know the statistics say his clutch numbers are good, but like in the final moments, I I do feel like things kind of break down for him. I don't know. Did you see that? Did you know what shot I'm talking about, right, Ethan? Like he has that shot where he's going down the right baseline with about two minutes left yesterday, and they're down by three, and it just kind of rims out on him. I just feel like kind of when the shots need to fall for him in those last 10, like minute to 30 seconds, they, they just sometimes do not. Yeah. I mean, that was a big criticism that I had of him when he was with the jazz. I think he often forces the issue late in close games. Like he tries so hard to like make a quality shot for himself. And even if he gets a good look, a lot of the times it doesn't go down. Um, I, I feel like, 
you know, just off this one game, it's tough to say if he's matured a little bit. I think this year overall in general, I've seen some positive strides from him in terms of late game shot selection. Um, I would just like to see him slow it down, you know, think it out a little bit, maybe get a better play call from the coach, depending on if they have a timeout, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Mitchell does have a tendency to kind of force things sometimes and, and it can get him into trouble. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they can kind of clean that up as this series goes along, because I think a lot of these games are going to end up being close. So I I think you make a really good point, Ethan, t- talking about Donovan forcing the issue at times. But let me let me broach a topic. And I don't know if this is slander among, you know, the, the jazz fan base uh, with you guys. But I have always felt like watching Donovan Mitchell for as great of a player as he is, and he's spectacular, and I'm not trying to throw any shade at anything that he did or was able to accomplish with the Jazz, but I've always felt like in big games, when you have to ask Donovan to, you know, I'm looking at the box score right here, he played 44 minutes in game one. When you ask Donovan to go beyond that 38 to 40 minute barrier, I've just always felt like he doesn't quite have that extra, you know, once the tank hits E, the tank hits E with Donovan. You look at some other great players in NBA history, you you hit empty and you have just a little bit more that you can get to. And I, I've always wondered if Donovan actually has that. And it's, it's just, it, and it's not even a question of his conditioning, just, at some point, you're asking so much of so many guys. You're asking Donovan to do so much offensively, 38 points in 48 minutes. And, Eric, you were talking about his contribution defensively. So both ends of the floor, guys are going to run out of gas. It's understandable. Is like is that crazy for me to suggest that could be in play here? No, I don't think so. I feel, yeah, I, I think that's something to – to keep an eye on. Uh, I've sure. always wondered if it's something that, not to cut you off, Eric, I just wanted to add one more thing, but I, I've wondered if that fatigue is something that contributes to what I've seen as Donovan's decision-making is lesser late in games. You know, he makes more questionable decisions late in games than you would like to see from a player who has the ball in his hands as much as Donovan does. Mm. Yeah, I I mean I think that's a it's it's fair it's fair criticism to have. Uh, I think for as much as I like the Knicks, um, I do think I I'm still taking the Cavs. I I just do feel like they'll they'll figure it out even though they're young. But I do think this probably goes seven games. Uh, that just feels like kind of a way this is going and if, i think if the knicks had home court advantage i'd take them in game seven but uh i i uh i see this thing going seven for the uh for the caps ethan do you have a, a pick on this one and then we'll just hit some brief thoughts on nuggets wolves and then we'll get out of here yeah um this series i mean i think I think a lot of these games are going to be close. It's going to come down to who can execute better in crunch time. One big takeaway I had from the first game was the rebounding difference. Uh, the Knicks out-rebounded Cleveland 51-38, to 38, and that was something I was pretty shocked by because the Cavs are huge. They have a really big front court uh, between Mobley and Allen, and they just kind of got out-hustled there. So um, 
that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on going forward. I think I'm with you, Eric. I probably do still lean Cleveland. Um, and I, and I think it will end up going seven, but you know, this first game, if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm feeling pretty encouraged by it. Um, if they can win game two, I think this is over. So we'll see. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a fair point as well. All right. Nuggets, T-Wolves. I want to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Brian doesn't get to make a pick. Oh, huh? Huh? Brian. (laughs) Pick. Hey, I'm just going along with it. If I don't get to make a pick, that's fine. (laughs) No, um, is it a cop out to to say of the of all eight series that we're looking at here? This one, I would feel much more confident making a pick after we see game two. Because I think we're going to learn a lot about Cleveland in game two and, and their response and what they're actually capable of. So without that knowledge, I, I'm i going to be there with you guys and, and I'm going to still lean Cleveland. And I, going into the series, I probably would have said Cavs in six, but after they lose game one, uh, I'll step that back and go Cavs in seven. And I, honestly, this might end up being my second favorite series behind Kings Warriors when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that take. Nuggets, T-Wolves going on right now. Nuggets in pretty great control. I feel like there's, for this group, really only one uh, lens to look at this through, which is uh, what Rudy Gobert has done tonight. Let me just preface this by saying uh, Rudy Gobert once paid me $500, and like uh, I'll be forever grateful to Rudy Gobert, and he's a good dude. And I love the guy. Um, Here's what has happened tonight. Every time Nikola Jokic is on the floor, he is being guarded by Carl Anthony Towns because no one cooks Rudy Gobert quite like Nikola Jokic does. Like, I don't think there's a worse matchup in the NBA than Nikola Jokic on Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert just cannot keep up with him. Uh, You're also seeing that when Nikola Jokic is not on the floor, Defensively, Aaron Gordon is on uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, Rudy Gobert is about, I don't know, like five inches taller than Aaron Gordon. And the reason they're doing that is because there is absolutely zero threat of Rudy Gobert touching the ball in the post. He is allergic to it. When he does, he does something stupid like throw it as hard as he can off the glass and nothing happens. And then occasionally he's getting like burned by Michael Porter Jr. I've seen three separate layups go right past Rudy Gobert. And it's like, okay, what are you doing there, dude? And then just recently, about two minutes ago, uh, you have the classic Rudy Gobert play where you just pull him out on the pick and roll, kick it out to the corner and let Jamal Murray hit those open threes. And yeah, that's how the Nuggets lead. 83 to 58. I love Rudy Gobert, but like he has just been found out so much. I, I feel so bad for him. Like he has just been found out so much this year as a guy that is basically like borderline unplayable as a starter in the modern NBA. He just, he does not have the tools to keep up with what, the modern game requires and credit to Quinn Snyder for putting together a defensive system that made him look like the defensive player of the year for almost three years in a row. So that's, that's really all I have to say about this series. I I thought it might be a little bit more competitive, 
Anthony Edwards has been kind of quiet tonight and, and was pretty quiet in both their playing games. Like, I've been a little bit surprised by he is not – he's getting to – he's gotten to the point where teams are starting to kind of double him now and take him out of a game, and he's not really breaking through the way some stars do early in their development. That's really what I have to say about this series. I think it's going to be – pretty quick and painless and i want to get you guys to bed because i i know it's been a late night and i appreciate you spending your time with me anything else on this series if if we're doing predictions which here i don't really feel the need to i'll, I'll take the nuggets in four games yeah i mean this one obviously full disclosure like we've been recording this podcast during the game so i haven't really gotten to watch it but from what i can tell the wolves look like a team that are down two key role players um, Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels, both injuries that have ended their season. Um, I think those guys both would be key in this series and, and the Wolves are just down depth. And, you know, you made some key points on Rudy Gobert. I don't think it's like you said he's borderline unplayable as a starter. I don't think it's quite to that point, but this Wolves team maybe is not the right fit for him. You know, there was a bunch of critics of the trade at the time that it was made. And and I think the, the story is still to be written on what this trade ultimately will end up looking like. Obviously, it was a lot to give up, but I still think this Wolves team has the potential to go somewhere this year. You know, their depth hasn't always been there. They were ravaged by injuries with Towns missing most of the season. So um, maybe the Wolves will have something to say about it down the line, but uh, it's looking like it's a really tough matchup for them right now. And like I mentioned, with the injuries ending the seasons of McDaniels and Reed, I just don't know how much fight they're going to be able to put up in this one. Brian? It sounds like we all agree that Minnesota at this point is just kind of playing out the string. I frankly was surprised that they were able to get it together enough to beat Oklahoma City. The fact that the Thunder don't have a healthy center on their roster probably made a pretty big difference in that one. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of thoughts about Rudy Gobert. I'm I'm one of the biggest Rudy defenders. And Eric, I, I you made a lot of strong points there. One of them that you touched on briefly. Um, was uh, about Quinn Snyder and the, the system that he was able to develop and put in place. And not only the system, but the buy-in that he was able to get from his players. And it's building a, a, a system around Rudy. But the fact is, I mean, you, you look at Rudy's career. He's in, what, his ninth, tenth year, drafted in, I think, 2011, 2012. The, the league has changed. It's completely it's night and day different from what it was when he was drafted. I mean, hell from the first year that he won defensive player of the year to now it, it, he absolutely has to be used in an entirely different way. Just simply drop big centers that aren't able to punish teams that go small on the offensive end are going to struggle in, in the style of, of basketball that's played in the NBA these days. And, Rudy Gobert, unfortunately, is the poster child for that. And he's also a guy who, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to get out of his own way for the last two, three years. It seems like every every time you turn around, he's doing something that makes you just makes you go, makes me go as a Rudy fan, go, oh my God, why? Just just stop. Just don't don't be dumb. Just play basketball. But, you know, it is what it is. The, the Timberwolves are playing the stretch out on this one. Um, I, I'm much more interested in watching the Nuggets and, and learning what they are as a playoff team. They 
even as the one seed, they didn't impress me as much this season as I as I had expected them to. And I, so I, I think that what they do against this Minnesota team, can Minnesota really put the pedal down and just run right by them and, and get that four-game sweep? Because I think that's going to play a, a big role in their health and ability to advance in the in the playoffs moving forward because that four or five matchup is is likely to to be an extended series so if the nuggets can win in four and get a week's worth of rest i think that would go a long way for them yep all right guys Thank you so much for joining me, Brian. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on in a, in a fill-in role this week. Hopefully we'll have Aramis back next week. He, he was just a little bit under the weather this week. Uh, Ethan, I know you're in the midst of finals. I know this went an hour and 42 minutes. I appreciate you spending some time with me on a Sunday night, and I look forward to seeing you next week, my man. Yes, sir. Okay. With that, enjoy the rest of the week of NBA playoffs. We'll be back next Sunday night. Uh, I don't think any of these series will be over. I, I was kind of looking at the schedule. Everything will be in, like, what, game three-ish territory around yeah, that? Yeah, I'll just glance at the schedule. Next Sunday will be a bunch of game fours, so we could have a couple of wrapped up by the time we record. But Okay, yeah. Don't think anything in the West, though. So, we'll, we'll, well, maybe one, but... Uh, yeah, it should be uh, another good one uh, next Sunday. Again, in, in absentia, thanks, Audrey, for joining us as well. We will see you all next week. Thank you very much for listening. Peace out.